So I, I was going to do an outro where I did the normal singing outro, but I had this thing that I was doing to my wife yesterday that she was really, that would really annoy her where I would just randomly sing like one line really out of tune from Mary. Did you know where like we would get into the car and I would just be like, Mary, did you know? And then just <laughs> silence. So that's my outro bit. Your baby boy would one day rule the nations. And she'd be like, what are you doing? Welcome to Chapel Bell Curve, a stats-focused podcast about UJ football. I'm Justin. And I'm Nathan. And today, as we said, we're going to talk to you about Gran Turismo. Gran Torino, you know, the one, the GT, the Georgia Tech, those yellow jackets. Those guys. Uh, yeah. We're going to talk about football. You know, our experiences, what stats tell us, a little bit about what this coaching carousel is doing, because it's absolute madness. Um, and I'm very excited to talk about it. <laughs> you know some ask cbcs but before we get into all of those different segments i do want to ask you nathan how was your time at uh the university of georgia's away campus in atlanta how did it go <laughs> did you have a good time yeah it was a good time i was uh i would i went as a staff member with the derbies we didn't take the full band this year for various reasons uh just budget constraints covid stuff or whatever and I think mainly budget constraints. And but it was it was a good time. It, it was it really was as it appeared to be on television. It seemed like it was like eighty five. I I mean maybe a little more. I would be a little more conservative. I might say like seventy seventy five um, percent Georgia fans. At the very lowest, like in the sixties, it was weird because it was basically like UGA alumni event. Like I saw a bunch of people I knew who came and talked to me, and then I saw like I don't know. It was just weird because like there were not normally at an away game, you see one or two people, you know, but I saw like five or six and obviously it's in Atlanta or whatever. But I, I think it was pretty clear that there were a lot of people who were like, I can't afford SEC tickets. So this is going to be the game. I see this team and hey, good for them. <laughs> um, it was it this was way years house. from now, they can say things like I did see Georgia in Atlanta. Yeah, exactly. I saw it. Exactly. <laughs> um, I think. I mean, in terms of like the game experience, it was just kind of weird. Like I, Georgia Tech had a false start penalty that I think might have been caused by opposing fan fan noise. Like <laughs> it was just really weird. And like every time they got a first down, like you would see how many Georgia Tech fans there were. And it would be like, huh, uh, that's weird. There, there's just not that many of them, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I was go? like, surely I'm I must be colorblind because it seems like there's a lot of red in this in this. <laughs> I must be wrong, you know, Uh Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Um, I'm, You're right. Every time I saw anything on the TV, it, it was it a sea of red, my friend. I, I'm sort. I'm pausing because I really. I, I'm. I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this, like, and not mm-hmm. in in a more neutral way. Like, even as a neutral observer, that I just have a question of like, where does Georgia Tech go from here? It's not even that. Like, I think Jeff Collins is a bad coach. It's just like clearly we're not seeing results, and. You know, it's better, I think, for Georgia if Georgia Tech is decent. I actually think mm-hmm. that it helps us if Georgia Tech is good. Uh, I don't want Saban to be there or whatever, like trying to recruit, you know, trying to match us for recruits in state. But I really do think that Georgia Tech has um, a place in the sport, similar to how I think college football is better when USC is good. 
I think Georgia Tech has a role to play in the sport that's important. And when they're winning like two or three games a year, it's just like it, it actually doesn't even help us. Like, what did that game even really do for us other than like it was a cool experience? There were a lot of Georgia fans there. I don't I don't really know that it did a lot for us as a team, uh, either mm-hmm. in terms of our resume or in terms of just like the actual players. You know, I guess you can say you get better on yeah. every rep or whatever. But I, I think Georgia Tech has to really think about what the future is. I mean, I know they, they've already announced that they're going to retain Jeff Collins, and I don't even know that firing Jeff Collins is the answer, but it's just like you cannot be in Atlanta and be that irrelevant. Atlanta is in many ways the center of the college football universe, right? I mean, the College Football Hall of Fame is Atlanta. The SEC Championship is Atlanta. Like all sorts of offices, all sorts of fans from all over the country, and it's like I, I really actually think it would be better for college football, the health of the sport, if Georgia Tech were going to bowls again, at the very least, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But, I mean, that's their problem. Uh, what was your experience like? You know, um, I was actually trying to find, before you asked me that question, I was trying to find the uh, Jeff, because Jeff Collins ended it. He just sent an email apparently earlier today that was out to fans, like a big newsletter email that was basically like, hey, sorry about the last three years. <laughs> They've been tough. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you know, more power to Jeff Collins for taking the mantle of completely reshaping an entire program like that. That's the thing. You know, I think it's pretty impressive to try and, you know, move a team from being a pure triple option team to being a team that is, you know, adapting to uh modern offense and modern modern football but you know that's another story for another day and i'm not here to congratulate or you know put uh the georgia tech team on a pedestal of any kind i'm here to talk about my experience my experience was right here on video where you see me now those of you watching tonight i sat right here in this chair and i watched this game and it was incredible i absolutely loved it (laughs) i am i am not as i would say uh my you know, my, my wife, Anna, my wife, Anna, I like to say that she is an indoor cat. Um, and I am not an indoor cat, but hell do I love an indoor cat experience every once in a while. Sometimes this was very much for me an cat indoor cat day. experience. Yeah, that was this, you know, Thanksgiving week for me was very much an indoor cat kind of time. And I had a really good time watching this game, just sitting in the chair. Uh, there was a point later in the day, I will say, you know, I, I watched the Georgia Tech game. It was fine. I was playing magic the whole time as well. Also great, fantastic time. Um, then I got to watch the Ohio State-Michigan game as well, off and on, going back and forth between these two games. And then I was going to you know, leave and go on a run in the afternoon, and then the Bama versus Auburn game got weird and fun, and so uh, I had to watch that, and then I had to go finish it at your house, and so... You know, overall, a pretty good day. Of I, I really love the the kind of tradition I've created of, hey, this game is really close. I need to go watch it with somebody. <laughs> I need to find somebody right now to go watch this with. Yeah, it was, uh, and that's what this one ended up. You did, you did not end up at my house, uh, and it was it was weird because you were like, yeah, I'm coming over, and this was like in the second quarter, and then you know you uh-huh. weren't there for a while, and I was like, ah, oh, he's gonna miss the end of this game, and then you definitely didn't because the end of the Bama game <laughs> took all of like. It felt like it took an hour, right? Oh, yeah. It took quite some time. And it was because every time I got up to go, I was like, okay, I'm going to leave now. And then I was like, wait, 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 wait. And then something weird would happen. And I had to stick around and watch that happen. And then something weird would happen. <laughs> and it just kind of kept going that way. It was like, I have to leave or else I'll never leave. So I did. And uh, yeah, it was a good time. Had a good time doing that. Then we just got to, to hang out a bit and 
watch other football that didn't really matter at all, which was kind of the whole story for us this weekend, except for that time that Ohio State lost, lost to Michigan. They they killed the the boogeyman for us, which I'm excited about. Yeah, they ki- Well, I don't I think it's pretty clear that Ohio State was not John Wick. So let's calm down. I mean, do we want to talk That's about fair. do we want to talk about Bama Auburn at all from a statistical perspective? Um, oh yes I, I, I do because I think that's on a lot of people's minds yeah I mean we're gonna obviously we're gonna have a big breakdown of this game I'm already prepping stats for the SEC championship episode I've been working with our boy Ross and some of the other guys who we've been doing stuff with and boy I, Ross uh, one of the things that I think is just really interesting about this game well first of all Bama has a negative 15 total EPA negative 9 offensive EPA mm-hmm. uh, you know whether or not that is a sustainable output in the sense that like we can sustain that level of success against Bama, I'm not sure just because a, I think that Auburn had a very good plan and I think we're capable of making just as good a plan, but I think uh, Auburn definitely showed their deficiencies and you know how well, uh, I don't know how much opportunity that Saban will have to counter game plan those deficiencies. And also I think it was just, some of it was just sort of like Jordan Hare voodoo, Jordan Hare voodoo that you mm-hmm. can't count on being consistent going forward. But I mean, look, this was a this was an Auburn, this was an Auburn offense that, you know, or an Auburn defense that UGA certainly had some problems with, but but scored what twenty four points against? I can't remember what the what, no was that it. Hold on, twenty two, twenty two to twenty four. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm at UGA's um, Auburn oh, versus sorry. UGA. No, yeah. So this is, you know, we scored 34 points on this defense, right? And I I don't know, man. I mean, it, it they're good and certainly a very good uh certainly Auburn had a very good game plan and Derek Mason came up with a very good just like decided they were going to zero blitz from weird angles with linebackers all the time and that definitely worked, but I mean, I really I I just it just makes you go, huh? Right. I don't want to like tip my pick or whatever, <laughs> but like when you see and the transitive property thing doesn't always work. But like uh-huh. I think it's clear that if it's I'll, I'll tell you what I think already about the SEC championship is that if Alabama has a negative offensive EPA against Georgia, then Georgia's probably gonna win the game. Right? Because yeah. I I don't think that Auburn's I mean, look, Auburn's offense was playing with a backup quarterback with like a broken ankle, right? So the idea that they can afford to play at this level for another week and still like, you know, the monkey paw curls and they win again. I don't know that that really holds up. Right. And so that, I mean, that was my biggest takeaway was just like, uh, if you have negative EPA on the day and you win, you were lucky. Right. And now part of mm-hmm. that luck was good, was good planning. And part of it was sort of like injuries, but still at the end of the day, like uh, if you look at the win expectancy chart on this, there was a whole chunk of it where Auburn had over 75% win, win expectancy. Now, Look, Auburn had there were some bad coaching decisions from Brian Harson, and Auburn kind of choked the game away in a lot of ways. But I, I don't know that Alabama should rely on that again. Or let me th- no. let me phrase: if I'm if I'm an Alabama fan, the stats on this would make me nervous. Oh, absolutely! It was it really was like whoever could lose less is basically what like, and it definitely felt a lot like. Alabama wanted to lose that game a lot more than Auburn wanted to win it at some points. Uh, it it yeah. just come, comes down to the stats. Like, yeah, it was just kind of a messy game all around. But uh, at the end of the day, Alabama just 
played a little I wouldn't even say better, just a little less worse <laughs> than than Auburn did uh, coming out around the end of that game. So offensively speaking, at the very least. Yeah. So oh, man, oh man, I let's, well, we can get even into it a lot deeper. Yeah, I don't, don't want to like the I don't want to preview blow, episode. Yeah, I don't want to blow all of our SEC preview juice right now. Um, do you want to keep ha- the juice? Yeah, we'll, we'll keep it inside of us. This is a gross metaphor. So. Let's talk about the, the Georgia, Georgia Tech <laughs> game from a statistical standpoint, uh, because that's what this podcast okay. is about. Let's do it. Nominally. Uh, this was a complete At domination. Times. This is an absolute blowout. Negative 22 total EPA for Georgia Tech. Negative 15 offensive EPA. Uh, Georgia Tech had 31% of its plays were successful. Only uh, 16% of their passing plays were successful. They only had three passing plays that were successful. Uh, I mean, it was just a complete domination. UGA had a hundred percent stop rate. That can't be right, but I think it is right. Basically, like Georgia <laughs> Tech, that there's no way that's right. They got a couple of first downs, but I think it is. Uh, yeah, like well, no, yeah, Georgia. I mean, it was a shutout. Yeah, so Georgia, yeah, yeah Georgia never let them score or get what they needed. Hundred percent stop rate, three sacks on the day. You know eight tackles for loss if you counting the sacks i mean there's just no this is such a thorough this is such a thorough domination that there's really like i only reference the game on paper just because it's kind of actually wild that there's no small sliver where you can be like well georgia tech did this thing well it's like they didn't do anything well and two you know they have one <laughs> explosive play on the day it's bad time uh it was a there was like a deep uh deep ish pass that was explosive if you take out their one explosive play, they had a negative 19 EPA on the day offensively. I mean, it's just it's just really bad, dude. There's no way around it. <laughs> uh, not I mean, this was this game was on par with the blowouts of UAB, right? This was this was not quite a Charleston Southern blowout, but it was closer to Charleston Southern than it was to Clemson. And, you know, I mean, I think it's important to take a moment to talk about like this is the first time UGA has gone 12-0 in the regular season. Uh, first time having undefeated regular season since 1982. Are the, you know, it's, it's been a long, long time since UGA did this. And this continues to be a, uh, I don't know, this continues to be such an aberrantly good team and such an aberrantly good defense. It, it, this team is performing outside of basically every level of expectation that you could have for it. And regardless of what happens next week and the weeks to come, I think it's how, I think it's useful to acknowledge that like this is just not something that a modern UGA team has ever done. There has never mm-hmm. been a UGA team in the modern era, you know, post nineteen ninety two or whatever you want to say that the modern era is that has played at this level at this at this consistency across the breadth of the uh, across the breadth of the season. It just hasn't happened. So I'm. I I'm excited about what's going to happen going forward, but I think that we should pause and just say, we, we, we did this. If nothing else, we did. You just want to have a moment of silence for him. Yeah. That itself is, that itself is important. All right. I, I don't know. There's not much you can pull out of this game. Do you, I have a couple of takeaways. (laughs) Do you have anything that you want to say about the actual game itself? Uh, I was trying to see if there were any actual comparisons to this one, the Charleston Southern game. Um, there's i mean it's pretty similar to be honest and that's that's hard that's rough to say um brock bowers continues to be just absolutely impressive love the guy 
Uh, I think that he's two catches away from being, uh, from breaking just about every tight end and freshman record there is for Georgia, which is really yeah. exciting. Yeah. Um, other than that, um, I, I, I genuinely think Brock Bowers is the fastest tight end I've ever seen in person that I've ever seen live. Yes. Uh, he's I, very I'm, good at his job. Yeah. He's, he's so fast. He's very physical, even with the speed that he has, he has insane body control. And it's weird because Mm -hmm. you think that he's just kind of like a hybrid tight end wide receiver, but then he'll just like block the shit out of somebody. Um, Yeah, he does it all. I, 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 I take great joy in saying this. I assure you Stetson Bennett continues to look between good and great at times. Mm -hmm. He had a batted pass, but I think that was maybe his offensive lineman's uh, fault. But other than that, pretty much played a clean game. I think it was nine for 10 at one point. Pretty impressive final stat line on the day. He ended up being 14 for 20, 255, four touchdowns, one sack, 80.5 XQBR, 12 yards of play, 0.7 EPA per play. That's really good. 2% win percentage added. That's really good. The guy, the guy, he's playing his ass off right now. And I worry about how that's going to look next week, but you can't deny that he's playing the best football of probably his career at this point. Uh, and mm-hmm. I mean, that just is what it is. I mean, he he took this team apart. <laughs> just absolutely took this team apart. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, we saw the return of George Pickens, one catch for five yards. So that's, you know, great. I think hey, it's, it's, that's prob- something. it's probably a bigger sort of PR story slash kind of va- faint for Alabama to have to th- talk about than it is actually anything for the SEC championship. I think there's a very good chance that George Pickens could be a real factor if in whatever college football playoff scenario that we're in, I don't know that he is going to just get, I don't know that he's going to be able to take a lot of snaps. I think he's almost certainly on mm-hmm. a pitch count at this point, right? I mean, he was out there for like two or three snaps in the, the GT game. And I think it's important that he saw live action, but I would not, I would not hang my hat on him coming out and having like a, you know, 15 target day. Um, I think the run game looks kind of suspect to me still. Sometimes we had some defensive run fit issues where, you know, sometimes you give up a run because the offensive line out blocks you. And sometimes you give up a run because mm-hmm. you just don't put a guy in a gap. And there were a couple of times where we got a little sloppy about the, our run fits, where guys were supposed to be and who was supposed to cover each gap. But uh, I mean, and obviously that didn't affect the outcome of the game. And if anything, it probably from Kirby's part, Kirby, Kirby's part, that's probably like not a horrible thing because it's just another teaching moment, right? Another learning moment. You, you're always pushing guys forward. So you never want them to have a flawless game in some sense. Um, I mean, I guess my only takeaways going forward is I, I, I think I'm a touch worried about the offensive line. Uh, mm-hmm. Pass blocking continues to be really good. Run blocking continues to be hit and miss. I think guards are a liability. I think Warren Erickson, I, I'm, I just don't think he's getting it done right now. I think we might yeah. see more Xavier Truss. Um, I didn't. I, I need to look up the stats uh, for the snaps real quick um but i i didn't see xavier trust in there but that doesn't mean that he wasn't because obviously i i've been wrong before um and the the the, gets really confusing sometimes with everybody's uh oh no uh while you were looking that up i figured you're probably gonna check that out real quick but i'll I'll also say you know some of the the takeaways we've been we've been you know getting on the stetson train we've been getting on the mailman's train and you know i really he still gets it. He gets it done. He gets a he gets the job done from start to finish, and it's a beautiful story. Which, if you've listened to the show for any amount of time, you've probably realized that I love a good story. Love a good story. Big fan of them. Um, one of the the 
the probably one of my favorite takeaways from this game, you know, and I don't know how this will translate to a game against a better team necessarily, but he's been playing this way pretty consistently. Uh, but Stetson, by the 10th completion on the day, you know, he's a 14 for 20 on, on this game. But by the 10th completion, he had thrown to nine of his, I believe, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 targets for the day. Um, so he's just, he's all over the place. And that's fantastic. It's great. It's great for, you know, what we can expect out of this next game. You know, our offense continues to play uh, very equal across the field and not just to wide receivers or tight ends, but also mixing it up with running backs as well. Um, you know, at the end of the day, we had five guys with running yards, including Stetson Bennett, and um, four of those five all caught balls for the day. So, man, it feels good. It feels good to have a very equal opportunity offense is how I feel about it. And I think that that is a very good place to be and feel uh, going into next week's game, uh, especially since Auburn was not a team that did anywhere near that against Alabama. So I feel... Oh hope you definitely you, you have <laughs> Tell a me mul- I'm wrong please i mean you have a multiplicity of threats on this offense i think you know your skill your skill position you definitely don't have the outside skill that a lot of it like that like an ohio state has especially without george pickens mm-hmm. but you know you, the ability to throw to the running backs and tight ends and the skill that you know the talent that you do have in the wide receiver room it, it's hard to defend i mean i think you kind of like the only thing you would want is kind of a game-breaking sort of George Pickens style wide receiver. And honestly, like Brock Bowers has an element of that to his game. He's a diff- very different player than George Pickens. But in terms of the gravity yep. that he takes up on the field, I think he has a similar impact to Pickens. And, you know, I think obviously ob- a lot of football to be played, but you-, you have to feel good going to any college football playoff scenario if you can have some kind of George Pickens presence. And, you know, if he can take mm-hmm. a couple of snacks at Georgia Tech, you got to figure on New Year's Eve. He might be capable of more. All right, so let's 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 roll into our favorite subject, our favorite segment of the day, Ask CBC. And I know we're going to do Ask CBC a little bit different. We got a lot of co- uh, coaching carousel questions. So do you want to take a oh, moment yeah. and just like do some news rundowns? Oh man, yeah. As we started recording this episode tonight, we had some some even greater news come in. But this is all uh, the question that we will take for today having to do the ca- coaching carousel comes from Splooey, aka Mr. Jacob R. Borland, asking, please, for the love of God, explain what is going on in this hellish roller coaster of a coaching carousel. So, man, oh, man, there were several, I think last I checked, there were 10 open positions, in, head coaching positions, and many of them have been filled. But the ones that everybody are talking about are, uh, as of the time we were recording this episode, Brian Kelly uh, from the Fighting Irish, he I'm not kidding, and I'm not joking, I'm not exaggerating. He has Irish goodbye his position with Notre Dame. Yes, one of the just, winningest coaches in college football has just kind of left yes. one of the most prestigious programs in college football <laughs> to go to LSU, which I think is yeah. weird. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I. it's insane. You knew that when you had USC and LSU open – that it was possible for insane things to happen, but there just mm-hmm. isn't a lot of precedent. And in the modern era, there's basically no precedent for a sitting successful power five head coach at a top 10 to 15 job, leaving for another top 10 to 15 job. Now I think it's definitely defensible. I think there are definitely there's, there's a lot of ways in which USC is a better job than Oklahoma, but these kind of moves just haven't happened. Um, and when that mm-hmm. happens, 
I mean, I think the Brian Kelly thing to me, it kind of smacks of desperation from LSU's part, right? Like they didn't get, they didn't get Jimbo. They didn't get Billy Napier. Well, they didn't want Billy Napier apparently. Well, that's weird. Uh, And then they didn't get, yeah, that's really odd. Yeah. And then they didn't get uh, Lincoln Riley. And so they just throw money at the first big name who will pick up the phone. And it's like, Brian Kelly's a good coach, but like, uh, is he a fit at LSU? Like, LSU, it seems weird. Yeah, super it's like weird. LSU kind of not so secretly has a very demanding fan base. Like, they are a Florida level fan base. Like, their fans have insane expectations, and you have to be able to play the game with those expectations because a lot of those fans have butt tons of money, right? So, mm-hmm. I. I just don't know about the match of coach to 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 football team, and I. I and mean, it seems what, absolutely wild when Notre Dame is is knocking on the door of the playoffs again yeah, this year. Yeah, Notre Dame. Notre like Dame, <laughs> Notre Dame could go to the playoffs, right? And so what happens then mm-hmm. is, I mean, I guess Brian Kelly coaches the playoffs, but he I, he can't, right? He just Irish could. I don't them. think so. They probably hate him. He's already. Yeah, I'm already seeing that Marcus Freeman, an assistant coach, is already being looked at as the interim coach for the rest of the season. And so yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. Get the job. So it's like, like how often have you ever had a coach with an interim head coach uh, coaching at the uh, coaching the college football play in the college football playoff? I almost certainly have not. Um, no. And yeah, it, it's it's absolutely buck wild. I mean, the, and even more buck wild about that just is that. Edo is already he's making like he had so much money left in his contract he's making what 17 million dollars just to not coach football right now and then they have to like the only thing that makes sense to me why brian kelly would leave one place to the other is either money or because something is amiss at notre dame and he wants to go to the sec for some reason um i i can't imagine it, it's money there's I mean, something else going on they're paying him like and, 15 million dollars a year which is nuts absolutely nuts especially yeah. because like they're going to have to what kind of staff is he even going to have he's not gonna like in my mind and i i doubt this is because this is why this is the case but kirby makes a lot less money than other head coaches at his level but also his assistants make a lot more than most assistants at their level and so it just feels like a more equitable approach to you know spreading wealth around whereas Who's Brian Kelly going to get for a lot less money if they don't have it in the budget? <laughs> Who's going to come coach for him? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I assume they're just going to like part of uh, part of the deal on a lot of these coaching contracts is your is your salary pool. And I mean, it's not like the LSU couldn't. It's not like LSU didn't couldn't afford a huge salary pool already. But I mm-hmm. think the I think the the one of the kind of weird stories that's going to be going through is that with all this movement, like I think you're going to see a lot more movement among coordinators and assistant coaches, and that's going to be sort of its own carousel because, mm-hmm. you know, like the guy at Oklahoma State, the defensive coordinator at Oklahoma State, he's almost certainly going to get pit, uh, he's almost certainly going to get poached. He's took, he took a bunch of two and three stars and they have like a top 10 defense. I mean, I don't think that Dan Lanning would take a lateral move anywhere, but there's certainly a chance that when you have the carousel stop and there's a lower power five job open, that Dan Lanning gets a job, right? And I think that's, I think the fallout from these moves is less going to be like, it's funny that Brian Kelly has to talk about eating crawfish, which it is fucking hilarious. <laughs> Imagine Brian Kelly on an about. airboat ride. Like, it would be yeah. like the same expression. I just saw Billy Gamilla tweet Brian Kelly's first airboat ride. And I'm just thinking about like, you know how red faced <laughs> and like wind chapped his face looks? Like, when he, it's just like 40 degrees in Indiana. 
like imagine him on an airboat with that same expression just like angry windchapped dad drinking port or whatever that's amazing <laughs> but i don't i think one of the even bigger impacts is going to be that when you have all these big names move that the sort of vacuum that they leave in their wake is going to have a lot of repercussions at at a lot of places, including possibly Georgia. I mean, Dan Lanning is probably going to win the Broyles Award, and if he doesn't, he should. Yep. Uh, you know, I mm-hmm. mean, gosh, no, God knows that. Like, uh, Todd Munkin has been a head coach before, right? Like, he has mm-hmm. head coaching experience. He was at Southern Miss, and he did pretty well there. And so it's, I, I, I think that the real impact on of this season to us personally, outside of like, it's hilarious, right? Like. Uh, Billy Napier goes to Florida. That's probably of all of these. That's probably the best move. Mike Mo- Bobo that's gets fired. Move. I mean, it's possible Mike Bobo is next year's like you know Will Muschamp. He's not an on-field coach, but he is an on-field coach kind of position. I think Mike Bobo definitely mm-hmm. is a high a candidate for that. But I think the biggest impact for Georgia fans is going to be that somebody's probably going to get poached off this staff. Yeah, we're going to lose somebody. Let's do our actual uh, favorite. Let's let's get into the meat of the uh, CBC segment here. Hold on. Let me just say all these things out loud for Lincoln Riley because this is absolutely insane. No wonder. I would go to, yeah, I would absolutely leave Oklahoma for all this. Um, contract details, <laughs> $110 million. Um, they are buying both his homes in Norman for $500,000 over the asking price. Uh, then buying him a $6 million home in LA and then giving him unlimited use for the private jet 24-7, which that just, wow. 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 Yeah. So much money. Okay. I'm sorry. I just had to Jesus. So much money in the world and we don't have any of it. (laughs) Okay. Let's talk about ask TBC. What do you say? Okay. Very first question comes from, this is a fun question. This comes from Clint Banshee radio. A simple minded man walks on average 2.3 miles per hour for 10 hours a day from coast to coast back and forth. If he started the last time Georgia lost and walked until today, how many times did he make the trip? This actually, so Jonathan actually sent us this with the math. Thank you, Jonathan. Yeah, um, hit us with the 2. math. 2.3 miles per hour times 10 hours per day. And the miles coast to coast, 14,973 divided by 2,650 days. That is 129.954 days or times. Also, I'm pretty sure that I saw that Kirby is one win away from being the having the longest streak in Georgia history. Is that correct? I believe so. I think that's right. Let's just not talk about it. Next question. Knocking on the wood. The 984. Oh, my dog just barked about that. Very upset. How bad of a surrender was it when Collins punted on fourth and 15 on our 36 when down 24? They weren't going to win, but that had to have been an all time pathetic. I quit moment. Yeah, I don't I don't know what the thought process was there. It wasn't like they were really getting stops that that regularly. I mean, I, you know, there was some also some talk about him running the ball in the fourth quarter. Like that makes sense to me. You're trying to get out of there without injuries. You want the fewest plays possible. You're losing the game. But I mean, fourth and 15 when your offense hasn't had any success is also pretty daunting. So I think mm-hmm. there's a certain amount of logic to it either way. I mean, it's it was a no-win situation. Imned Vidic asks, this is actually from last week, but it still applies this week. How much better is Napier supposed to be than Mullen was supposed to be when UF hired him? 
We know how Mullen played out, but have we been able to see behind the curtain since he was hired, or was there a time we were concerned about what he could do with their program? Any word yet on Napier's proclivities towards allegedly enjoying the warm feeling of peeing his own pants? I was never that worried about Mullen. I mean, I thought he was a good offensive coordinator, uh, but he hadn't really recruited at the level. I mean, the word on Mullen is that he didn't like to recruit, which is, mm-hmm. and I think in that sense, Napier is a Saban guy. He's on, he's sort of vaguely on the Saban tree. Uh, let me make sure I get his his CV correct here. He's from Cookville, Tennessee. He went to Furman. So he was a GA at Clemson. He's at South Carolina State. Then he was uh, Clemson's tight ends coach and then their offensive coordinator slash QB coach from 2009 to 2010. Then he lost that job and he was an analyst at Alabama. He went to like Nick Sayward, Nick uh, Hayward, uh, Nick Saban's uh, home for wayward boys or whatever for a year. Um, <laughs> so and then he sort of bounced around until he got the job at Louisiana in 2018. Um he, oh, he was also Alabama's wide receiver coach for three, year, three years. So in that sense, I think he's automatically an upgrade over Mullen in the sense that just like learning, I mean, just having somebody at Florida who will actually recruit uh, like instantly more of a threat to Georgia, right? Because Mullen mm. just was not winning, you know, not really winning a lot of recruiting battles at any level. And and certainly, you know, his track record at Louisiana, track record at Louisiana as a head coach, he was recruiting very well to be at the Sun Belt level. And he's kind of been in that Nick Saban system. So you got to assume that he's already sort of a step up there to begin with. Uh, in terms of play calling and, you know, offensive coaches and running a program, I mean, he has a reputation as being like a good program manager. He's a CEO type. He's kind of a Saban guy. So I got to figure he'll be pretty good at that. I mean, really, it just it really just comes down to the recruiting. Right. He's going to have to turn that roster over, uh, not to the extent that like, you know, Georgia Tech had to when Paul Johnson left. But there's there's a lot of fat on that roster that's going to have to get turned over before they're going to be competitive with UGA. Now, I think certainly better coaching right off the bat um, is going to get you closer. But ultimately, I think it's going to just come down to if you're not getting to a top 15 recruiting class at Florida, which just for the record, you should be getting at Florida just by waking up. You, you, you don't have any shot. Now, as for whether or not he pees his pants, I mean, he doesn't really strike me as a piss baby. <laughs> um, he has kind of a potato face, but we'll, we'll see. I, I'm not angry at him yet, but we'll get there. You got to let, you gotta let these sure, things yeah. happen organically, right? You can't force it. We'll see what happens. You know, we, we never say never is is what that's a old Chapel Bell Curve motto here. Never say never. Chris, this is, these are fun, uh, fun questions coming up. Chris D in London. Do either of you write your own poetry or lyrics? Do you write uh, after, you know, you read a ton? Yeah. I don't I actually mean, know the answer to this question. I, yeah, I've written some fan fiction. I've written some short stories. I wrote a shit ton of poetry in high school. A lot of it was bad. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I write on and off. Uh-huh. I need to write more. I I've probably haven't written a poem, put pen to paper on a poem in, in six months. But yeah, two or three a year, probably when the mood strikes. Um, nice. And, you know, I, I write some fan fiction. My wife writes fan fiction a lot more than I do. So I edit a lot of her stuff. Uh, I will not be sharing my emo angst poems. We could we might make like a hundred dollar <laughs> tier 
And the only benefit <laughs> is you don't even get access to the Chapel Bell Curve server. You literally just get like an encrypted file. We'll send you a journal <laughs> of my poems. Yeah, from high school. Very good. I like that very much. I I do actually write. I don't talk about it very often, but yes, I write a lot. Um, I have things here, post-it notes. I have notebooks. I have journals. I have on my phone, all sorts of things, little things. I also write uh, short stories, like short children's stories that are really fun. Oh, about, in terms of uh, no, go ahead. no, go ahead. I was just uh, about a kid named um, August, and I like him very much. Oh, that's I've never seen the light of day. Yeah, uh, I wrote for the interstitial materials of Colony Salem, which was the uh, RPG that I wrote. I wrote, we probably included about 200 words of fiction, but I wrote like maybe 15,000 words of fiction in the universe of Colony Salem, which I think is very good. It's like uh, transracial like sort of multi-ethnic transhumanist cyberpunk fiction it's all about like religion and faith and stuff and interaction with Mm -hmm. technology Uh, and that i will share uh but yeah the poem stuff a lot of them ironically were about samantha who i then married uh which is (laughs) both a blessing and a curse it's a blessing because at least i was putting that energy into like you know the right place and it's sweet, I suppose, but it's a curse because now I'm married to someone who's read my high school poetry. I think it's you did I something think, right. I think it's good for. I think it's good by the standards of emo angsty high school poetry. Like I actually, I stand mm-hmm. by it as like in its weight class. I think it's fine, but still, like by the standards of like now I have an English degree, it makes my soul implode, and not in a good <laughs> way. All right, next question. <laughs> uh christian london also asks what comes to mind first off the top of your head when i ask you what is the best non-alcoholic cocktail available in athens and from where i've not really had a lot of non-alcoholic cocktails um i know so this is my first answer i have a couple answers to this so yeah. i know that uh maypole has some and also they're not really like truly non-alcoholic cocktails they have like some nice um I guess they're not alcohol cocktails. I mean, if they're if there's there's things in there, you mix some stuff in. They've got like some some different sparkling drinks, like um, like a hibiscus lemonade. I think they have, Ooh. and I know Normal That's Town nice. has or not not Normal Town. Normal Bar has some non-alcoholic stuff there. They've had that for some time. Um, the National has some. You can actually get like there. They have a really. You can actually buy this and take this home. They have like a tonic that you can. Um, purchase to take home and they put it in their gin and tonics and it's really good and the tonic itself does not have any booze in it it's really great with just some soda water and so it ends up being like a really nice like uh um like a root liqueur bitter kind of um savory soda water um but i also remember and i don't think they do this anymore but i could be wrong i used to get uh during the summers when i was working downtown at different restaurants I would always get from Jittery Cho's downtown a half yerba mate, half lemonade. And it was, it like gave me life and I loved every bit of it. It was fantastic. Mm. Do you like boba? I love boba. I've never had boba, but everybody talks about boba. To me, that is like another non-alcoholic option. (laughs) You want to go get some boba, baby? Uh, Joel asks, Drawing from the roster of recently released head coaching personnel, who would you hypothetically 
Not saying they're actually going to be in the situation, but hypothetically see most likely coaching and playing in a longest yard sort of football game. Again, hypothetically, not saying that these coaches are going to jail. <laughs> Lane Kiffin, number one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> recently released. He's not recently so, released, but I think. But yeah, do go, we need just go fired? Anyway. We need fired. Like they got yeah. fired and now they're going to play football. Not now Mike jail. Bobo. Mike Bob was a good quarterback. Justin Fuente seems mm-hmm. like he's in pretty good shape. He just got fired. Who? Who? Oh, Ed Ordron, good defensive player. I think. Yep. Oh yeah. Still, still has a little bit of juice oh. in him. Uh, probably can't play in more than ten or fifteen snaps a game, but he'll get you some explosive, some like havoc plays. Um, you think? Who's been fired recently? Well, obviously Clay Helton was an offensive lineman. I think so. We probably get him involved somewhere. <clears throat> um, let's, see. let's see. He was at USC. Uh, I don't really know of a lot of the coaching. I, I don't know the background of a lot of the fire coaches because now if we're Bunch talking about coaches who are still like active, I think you, you're one of your high round picks has to be Lincoln Riley because just because he's young. Right. And, oh, yeah. he, and he was a Texas tech quarterback. Um, yeah, I think Kirby Kirby still can run pretty well, but I I think you got to start him. with like yep. Lincoln Riley, Graham Harrell. Graham Harrell was a really good quarterback at the college level, and he's young too. But yeah, Ed Ogeron is the funniest thing, the funniest answer. All right, Case Arge, over under seven years before Tech has a chance to be competitive on a football field with UGA again. I think under, if we're just saying competitive, uh, you know, in four mm-hmm. years, you can really flip a program's roster. Unless they fire everybody <laughs> and start <Yes>. back over. <laughs> yeah, we'll see what happens. I, I'd like to think under. We'll see. All right. When we have a Gmail question from one Clay Mysterio. Very good. Very good. Very good indeed. Fine football scholars. Two things. One, I was very upset after hearing in the last episode that it's actually Christie in London and not Christie and London. This whole time, I thought it was two smoking hot girls with one Twitter account asking intelligent questions about football. Turns out it's actually just one dude. What a letdown. Hold on. Let's pause, though. So because it's not Christie. <laughs> so he this OK, sorry. Clay Mysterio thinks that it's C-H-R-I-S-T-Y in London, which that's not it either. It is C-H-R-I-S space D period in London. It is a man. Yes. He has a beautiful English accent, and I love him. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Number two. As soon as the old alumni are gone, who would you want to replace Tech with on the schedule every year? Hmm. Clemson? I think it would be the next natural choice if we want to go out of conference rivalry. Maybe somebody yeah. from, like, maybe, like, Florida State. I think that would be fun, too. That would be a good rivalry. To that could be a good time. Where's somebody you want to go? Somewhere you want to go, though. Hawaii. I think that's the real question. <laughs> you don't want to go to Hawaii. <laughs> you do, do, but you don't. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I I think Florida, like like Florida State, I think is probably a good answer. Miami, I think would be fun. Uh, somewhere in Florida, maybe like a yearly. Mm-hmm. If if I could have any uh, yearly SEC rivalry, I would really love to play LSU more. I think those are always mm-hmm. good games, but yeah, I, I think Clemson's the like most fun. obvious answer. Virginia Tech could also yeah, be fun. That's maybe. fair. Maybe go somewhere to like, like Boston, Boston College, just because it's Boston. That sounds like a good time. 
Yeah, but then like you're gonna just beat the hell out of Boston College every year. That's not gonna be different than playing Georgia Tech most years. I mean, they're better. What if than they Georgia get better because you play them though every year? You know? <laughs> oh yeah, like, that's, that's cool. not been proven with this Georgia Tech situation. That, that's not how it's worked with Georgia Tech, obviously. Nope. Of course, Boston College <laughs> wouldn't have to recruit against us as much, I guess. Uh, uh-uh. Next question. Oh, this is our Patreon All right, so segment. This is the Patreon segment. Da, da, da. So Abby has asked a question. It is, what's the second best comic in the newspaper with the understanding that the best is obviously Calvin and Hobbes? Okay, so are we talking about any comic ever published? Or are we talking about like current comics now? Because I don't think Calvin and Hobbes is Let's published do both. right now either. Not even the reruns? Not even doing reruns? They probably are. I don't know. Because I think it's Peanuts. <laughs> I mean... It's, I think it's obviously Peanuts. Can you give me any comic it? ever other than Calvin and Hobbes? To me. I mean, I like, I like Dilbert. Big fan. Very relatable. Yeah, but Scott also Adams love is Garfield. a horrible human. But I guess that doesn't really... He's not, he's I don't just, know anything about Scott Adams. The guy who writes Dilbert, he's just kind of a... It's not just politically that we have different opinions. It's that he seems like a very angry, mean human. But oh, that's a real shame. still like Dilbert, but he is very relatable. I, I think it's got to be Peanut. Peanuts. Aren't you guys an Archie household, though? I mean, we're in, we're a Riverdale household. <laughs> I don't but know not that an we're Archie an Archie household. household. Yeah. I mean, like. That's fair. It's not it's not like sexy enough of an art style for us to be interested in it, in it you know. Speak for yourself, man. Have we're you only guy? we're only really devoted to anime like anime drawing. What if they put comics. anime in the newspaper? How like would that just, affect the boomers? They just put like manga strips in the newspaper, like two pages of manga. Wouldn't uh, that be hilarious? Well, that's so, like a better question. Like some 70-year-old woman being like, I can't wait for Sunday so I can read my Naruto Shippuden. <laughs> I think it's this like, is very important. What Grandma, what I told you Naruto manga. I Grandma, I told you Naruto was lame. All the real kids re- read Jujutsu Kaisen. <laughs> I just I really like that Naruto fellow. He's very respectful to his elders. Oh no. The, no. Okay, here's what it is. The best one ever is the best one would be mm, man, this is hard. I'm it, it's mm. got to be one where it has like a good boy character that everyone can love. Right, so it has to be a shonen anime where the main character is like a good sweet boy. So like My Hero Academia, Naruto, mm. uh, Full Metal Alchemist is probably so too respectful. dark. Uh, Loves his elders. Although it would be really great if if it was like, I really want to see young. I want to read One Punch Man. Shut up, Grandma. <laughs> I like That's how he dissolves people's bodies. It's just one punch. It's such a. <laughs> it's such a such a powerful. He's so powerful. He makes me feel things. What a powerful punch he has. I think uh, it's if peanuts, we got into anime, though. though, it's hard to say. It's peanuts. <laughs> it's peanuts. The answer is it's, peanuts. It's peanuts. Yeah, All right. The answer time, is peanuts. Time for the Dr. James Bearfield Troll Corner, presented by no one this week, because it's only one question long, and it's a total troll. So hit me. They pulled our funding for this one. Yeah. Number one, if this game were to be equated to the B movie, which character would be Kirby Smart? Okay, have you seen the B movie? It's been a long time. I have so I've had to look it up real quick. Um, So there is a character, apparently, according to this cursory Google search, named Mooseblood. And there is part of me that very much wishes and hopes 
that Kirby Smart, in some aspect of his life, is referred to as Moose Blood. And so I, I really, or wait, 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 wait. There is also apparently a character named Bud Ditchwater, and I think that that's probably the name Kirby goes by when he's staying that- in a hotel in Backwoods, Georgia, on a recruiting trip. Kirby's Kirby's burner account is Bud Ditchwater. That's yeah, they're what, like, what's the who's the room under, sir? Um, Bud Ditchwater. That's what Kirby's. Uh, that's that's Kirby's like the name that he is on his hunting license. So like when the game warden comes. Yeah, I'm Bud Bud Ditchwater. Is that right, son? Please don't call me son. It's Bud Ditchwater. Bud, that's my full god god given name. So god. there's your answer. Good answer. You piece of shit. Uh, all right, let's 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 end on a high note with Yara's Rage Against the Machine. <laughs> okay. Here it is. Yara's Rage Against the Machine. Number Man, one. Oh y- Yara, Yara claimed <laughs> that this was bad handwriting, but I think that they still did a great job on this. Still beautiful. Right. The curly cues. Love them. OMG, new LSU coach is Prob Brian Kelly. <laughs> Here's the questions. A, who is Brian Kelly? Uh, I mean, he's the coach at Notre Dame. He's a very B. He, he has he has a face like a potato. He's very northwestern. Sure does. He comes from his first Incredible. big coaching gig was at New Hampshire. That lets you know how southern he is. All right. It's one of those things where it's like if you know a Catholic in your life, they look like Brian Kelly. Yeah, like if you know a Catholic uh, man <laughs> in his fifties, yeah, absolutely, or sixties. Yeah. B. Do we like Brian Kelly? I mean, I. I think he's a good coach. He seems like he might be kind of a jackass. But Yeah, he seems kind of like a jackass. You know. And C. Are we going to fear LSU in a few years? Um, if we do, I don't think it'll be because of Brian Kelly. Mm-mm. Yara added, uh, I hope their tiger is doing well. <laughs> Me too. I hope so Sounds too. Sounds fun. Yeah, I hope Mike the Tiger is Two. doing great. It feels like there have been approximately 15 million new hires in the past two to three business days. <laughs> Can you recap, sla- recap slash explain them and whether Dog Nation should be concerned about any of them, please? I think we already did that. I, I mean, if anything, yeah. I think the best fit that we'll play every year is going to be uh, Napier. So that mm-hmm. would be the one I would be cons- can, you know, the most concerned about. Give them two or three years and yeah, we'll be concerned. Speaking of Dog Nation... Literally the name of my private story. I got to cosplay as a regular non-Redcoat Georgia fan at the GT game. And then there's some pictures. Uh, describe your game day in three words. Mine are, wow, George Pickens. I want to point out that uh, Yara is in the pictures that they have attached wearing, it looks like their ass jacket, their sousaphone jacket, mm-hmm. which means that they were doing a pretty poor job of cosplaying as <laughs> a non-Redcoat fan. But... Uh, Oh my god. Patreon tier for me to host a poetry hour. <laughs> that just got dropped on the Discord, man. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm I would do I would do the hell out of that. All right. Ma, what are your three words? Uh in this chair. Huh. My three words are <laughs> why is it shadowy? Why is it shady? What? It was shady. <laughs> why it was, is it shady? It was like 1230 so and we were in the shade. It's like some kind of weird architectural quirk of that stadium that where the Redcoats sit every year is basically in the shade 24 hours a day somehow. I don't understand it. 
Also, there is another little uh, arrow here that says the arrow to the Sweetwater beer, and it says bad. I'm like, yes, Sweetwater is bad. Sweetwater is very bad. It all tastes like the way that your uh, your stoner college roommate's couch smells. Number four. Okay, so Bama barely won against Auburn, but we very much beat Auburn, and Bestie George Pickens wasn't even there. I know 5-7 Devil Spawn Nicholas Liu uh, will prob pull some bullshit, but do you think we may be able to beat them? Also, do you think Bryce Young is hot? Because my friend says he is, but I vehemently disagree. Uh, I think we can beat them. We're going to have a whole episode about that. You know, mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. someone's hotness can be related to things other than their physical appearance, right? So if a person... It's true. If you have like real chemistry with a person, they can be attractive regardless of how they look on the outside. And and I think the inverse can also be true, right? If someone is if someone has um, opinions or has just like a different personality than you or is an Alabama player, maybe they're just not compatible with your your life or whatever. I don't know. I don't think I've ever seen Bryce Young without his helmet on. Let me see. I will say uh, Bryce Young is one of those players that any player that has the weird, funny, like pencil thin mustache, like immediately cracks me up and they look like someone's dad, like someone's dad or uncle. Um, and I just think it's very funny. And I, I don't find Bryce Young attractive, but also he's like, what, 18 years old. So, I mean, not really I, 20 years old. I think he's he's got a very symmetrical face. Sure. I but he's got you know, the thinnest mustache. I don't feel super qualified to answer the question of whether he's hot as someone who is uh, like just so straight. It's boring. <laughs> he looks pleasant to me. He has very straight teeth. <laughs> you know, that's I just brought my boyfriend home for the first time. And Nathan is my father, who I am introducing to um, my new boyfriend, Bryce Young. And Nathan says, he's he's pleasant to look at. He's not like yeah. you're trying to relate to me so hard. Um, no, no, no. I mean, well, first of all, <laughs> I would never judge any person that any of my children brought home. I do mm-hmm. see a picture of him at a Logan's Roadhouse, which does make him more attractive because that makes me know that he's a gutter boy. He has an NLI, NIL deal with the Logan's Roadhouse. So I, under, I I like a boy who's kind of a trash boy. So that makes me like him more. Um, But yeah, I do like, yeah, nasty boy food. Yeah, I would never judge anyone that any of my children brought home. And, you know, if they brought home someone who's going to play in the NFL once someday, I would just be like, go get a ring on it. <laughs> Good on you. <ya. laughs> uh, next question. Bobo is leaving Auburn. Who is Bobo? <laughs> Mike Bobo. Uh, he got fired, actually, I think. He didn't leave Auburn. So he fired. got fired. Uh, he was our former offensive coordinator. I think you know that. Anyway. Uh, Number six. Ahead. I'm kind of scared for this Saturday. What do I do if I see a football player in the hotel? Is the bin scary to play in? Will Bama fans steal my water like Auburn fans did? Ah, sorry for bad handwriting. I am anxious and in finals mode TM. All right. So your, your handwriting is better than mine is when I'm not anxious. I will say, uh, I don't think you should be scared. There is quite an echo in the bin, in the bins because of the halo board. When you're on the field, it's very echoey, but in the stands, it's fine. If you see a player in the hotel, just, you know, Treat them like another high college student because that's what they are. And, you know, also maybe just don't talk to them. That's usually a good move. Uh, and I think you're going to be fine. Bama fans are not going to steal your water because they're not going to get near you because I'll be there. And They don't drink water. 
people find yeah a bama fans don't know what water is and b people find my presence intimidating for some reason which is weird because i'm a big softy big speed boy yeah i've been told hey that is our show nathan less than an hour 59 minutes unedited baby we did it short episode damn son yeah all right this has been (laughs) chapel bell curve you can find us online pretty much anywhere at Chapel Bell Curve. That would include Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can email us at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com. If you liked what you heard here today, we'd love if you'd hit us up with a rating or a review. You can leave that anywhere that fine podcastiers sell their wares. Podcastier. Uh, including Spotify. We would love rating and review. You could also just scratch it into the 50-yard line of Mark Richtfield at Historic Bobby Dodd Stadium if you'd like. If you would like to support this podcast further, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash chapel bell curve. You can support the podcast for as little as $1 a month, and every tier gets you access to our Discord, which is a great community where you get to listen in and, I don't know, just meet a bunch of cool people that like weird stuff just like you do. And if you like, I, I almost guarantee that if you like this episode, you will like our our Discord. I, could, I can give you almost 100% on that one. So... We will catch you next weekend at Mercedes-Benz, the site of all of our greatest triumphs and failures. But until then, (laughs) go dogs. Go dogs. You know the ones.